Hello, beautiful souls. We bring you conscious content filled with empowering information. Designed to align you with the fulfilling freedom of activated awareness. I am Rachel Alcyon. And I am Daniel Alcyon. Welcome to to the Ecstatic Ecstatic Existence Existence Podcast. Podcast. Hello again, Global Conscious Family. You're deciding to tune in to the Ecstatic Existence Podcast. And we so thank you for that. Yeah. We bring you interviews with leaders in health, wellness, spirituality from around the world. And it's really an honor to share this information with you. Today, I think you're really in for a wild ride. I have a feeling you're going to be in for a wild ride. (laughs) Our guest is Greg Mazwak. Do I say that right? Yeah, that, that's close enough. That's that's as close as it gets, I think. <laughs> he has the most interesting book to share with us today. We're going to talk about his book, and I'm going to start out by reading you this bio from the book to tell you a little bit about Greg. So this is going to give you a taste for who we're connecting with today. Whisked from the jaws of Kodiak bears by militant backpacking pirates... On a rare Arctic spree, Baby Mazuak was eventually shunted off to a remote tourist attraction near Alice Springs to spend his childhood playing out various versions of the Bigfoot myth, living on popcorn and the Wichiti grubs tossed to him in pity for the poor display. Perhaps it was this first venture into cheap entertainment combined with an inherent propensity for personal transformation that enticed Mazuak one evening in the middle of an increasingly disinterested performance to set fire to his highly flammable ape suit and, in the distraction that ensued, teach himself to drive a stick shift across the bumpy desert roads to Sydney, where the sharing of a crumbling squat with a myriad of male prostitutes aided Mazuak in his higher purpose by the mastery of such key phrases as harder, faster, and ooh baby, you got it. Subsequently launching his job as a director, though fortunately those tapes were confiscated and vaulted, the whereabouts of which to this very day are still unknown. Oh my god, I love it! It almost sounds like Tom (laughs) Robbins. It's amazing. Welcome to the show, Greg. And it's almost all true. Right. (laughs) Yes. So, Greg, we're gathering today mainly to talk about your amazing book, which is called The Spiritual Slob. And this book is amazing. It's, you know, a really an experience to be had. You have to just get it and rummage through it because it's, it's all pieced together. It's so beautiful and fun and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and poignant at the same time. You know, being spiritual doesn't have to be um, a, a drudge. And that's kind of why it all kind of began. Yeah, you know, the the layout and the artistic direction of this book is very interesting, very eye-catching. It is largely done collage style. I mean, some of it almost looks like ransom notes, and uh, there's some really funny, like, iconoclastic juxtapositions. Uh, You have maybe, on one page, you'll have an image of a a dancing Sufi, and then right next to the Sufi is John Travolta in his white disco suit. Yeah, and they're both in white, and they're both, you know, have their arms in the same... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, let me talk a little bit about that. That was a very chance encounter. I I was filming um, uh, for the studio audience who really do believe that I was raised by bears. Um, yes, I was. Um, but I then subsequently became a director, and I was filming a commercial in um, Istanbul, and it was the first time that I'd ever been there. And I just haphazardly ran into the artist that. I subsequently um, became very good friends with and uh, and I enticed into 
creating the art for this book. And, and Istanbul really was actually where I wrote the whole book out in about a couple of months. Um, it's a, such an inspiring city. And Emir, now I'm going to actually just say, you have a problem with my name. Um, the one thing you got to know about Turkish people is they will never slow down. No matter how many times you ask them to say something slowly, they just won't. So as far as I remember, because I've, I've, met, I've met him years ago and I am really good friends with him, but he still won't slow down to tell me his name. So <laughs> it's something like Emir, that's, that's his first name, Emir Chaka Erkaja. And uh, he's a terrific uh, young artist. And uh, I started sending him excerpts of the book as I was writing it. And he started arguing with me <laughs> incessantly. Uh, I, I originally wanted the typical kind of like illustrations. I'm talking about something to show something kind of wacky that shows what I'm talking about. He's like going, hell no, no way. No, I'm not going to do that. That's shit. Um, so <laughs> it was really a team effort in, in terms of the visualization of the words because his mind is so oblique. And so, and he pulled out things that were, were much more provocative and left of field than I had originally imagined. And so that's, that's the beauty of that one. Uh, and I just love, I just love these illustrations. If you, if you hate spirituality, you don't give a shit about any of this stuff, get it for your coffee table because it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's a, there's a great thing with these crazy juxtapositions and um, mismatch hodgepodge of imagery that I think fits your writing style and the approach of this book really well. So I'd love to read a few of just the various chapters in this book to give you like a vibe of what's going on here. I mean, some of the chapter titles are like, you and me, baby, we're all slobs. Well, and they don't even, they're not even numbered in order. Oh, it's page numbers, I think. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. There's a, a pile of crap, clean up your act, bullshit or so you think, seeing ourselves in others, um, smudgy specs for the drama queen. Yep, yep, yep. Sticky bastards, too much to handle, question mark. Case study skid marks, the heart of you. How about drop your drawers and trim your bush, the outside world. <laughs> and maybe one hey. of my favorites, one of my favorites might be zone out, exclamation point, but not for long, motherfucker, exclamation point. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yes, it's really sacred comedy, you know, because you're talking about all these really important issues and spirituality and... um you know, yeah, it's like totally irreverent reverence. I love it. Greg, another one of my really favorite titles here, chapters and areas, and I actually love the content here, is called It All Began With Mouse Shit, subtitle How the Light Bulb Went Off. So I'd love if you would read passages from this, or maybe this whole segment, and then we can talk a little yeah. bit about what what you are bringing to the table here. Yeah, I'll do that, because... um. You know, obviously, uh, we, were, we were talking before uh, recording here, and, and you know, one doesn't just uh, wake up one day and say, oh, I think it'd be really cool to write a spiritual self-help book. That'd be really neat. Uh, we need another of those on the shelves. Um, and so, you know, a, a, a lot of, there's a whole universe of, of ballast to what brought me to write this. But um, uh, it all began with mouse shit, sort of shows the kind of, breaking point that took me there and that light bulb moment where I, I kind of really understood how very, very, very much uh, what we're surrounded with and what we create in our surroundings really creates our, our world and, and the other way around. So it all began with mouse shit. 
So far from sitting on my eco-friendly terrace, sucking down my bean sprout Watsian crap, I'm on my hands and knees, filthy as, well, dirt. Human dirt. Which is what I'm covered with. The dust and debris and grimy, grotty, sweat-smoked, gum-smeared, hideous residue of office life. I'm here because I am flat broke and scrambling fairly unsuccessfully to keep my head above water, because my life, frankly, has gone all the way to rock bottom, nose-diving into absolute shit. Years and years of goody-two-shoes, loving the godhead, right-on, energy-correct focus has left me shoved as deep down as deep down goes before you hit the cardboard boxes and the tin cans, and that's no joke. Moving, cleaning, lugging, hauling. I'm not making ends meet, but rather just barely scraping together enough to keep my phone on and shove a few bits and bobs down my gob. Just to keep going, I'm helping a dodgy acquaintance with his business. The business of going in when companies go bust, or equally dodgy companies do a runner, and clearing things out. Literally. And after weeks and weeks and weeks of this grimy, soul-destroying existence, my hat is forever off to those who do this kind of stuff for a permanent dime, and we need to all pay much more attention to those unsung heroes of dismantledom. I'm on my hands and knees, again, with my dusty black garbage bag, under yet another of hundreds of desks, sifting through the lint and inches of grime, through the coins left behind, and the paper clips, and bits of melted chocolate, and moose poop. Moose poop? No, mouse poop, sorry, but it could have been moose poop. Do you have any idea how many offices are riddled with mice and rats? With the flakes of cookies and stuff you don't even want to imagine what it is, through staples and post-it notes that got away, you get it. A whole pile of god-awful, disgusting key wrap. Now, being a creative person, my mind tends to wander. And being involved in such an endless, back-breaking, and quite awful and grubby task for sheer survival, my thoughts go elsewhere. This, in itself, quite a meditative state, being in the moment, picking up, dusting off, gathering, and yet remaining deep in thought. And in this state, I start cross-referencing as I consider my friends and all the people I know and their habits, their cleanliness versus what's really going on, and the various ways that the lives they are living are directly mirrored in the crap they have around them. I think of this because I'm appalled and angry at having to deal with this company's residue, this disgusting, stagnant, smelly, sticky, hideous gunge, this blocked-up, smeared, choking stuff that a vacuum and a weekly regime of efficient, clear, focused managing would put a stop to. Trying to numb myself to the reality of the ghastliness around me, my mind wanders eventually from anger and being grossed out into interesting little nooks and crannies until I find myself unable to fully remove myself from my situation, pondering the as-above-so-below principle. And I'm thinking, maybe, just maybe, this company, all these companies, would have not gone down the shitter if they'd applied a little cleaning fluid a dust brush, and some attention to detail. And that's actually how it all began. <laughs> Dang, you just called it all out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's so good on so many levels. Like, number one, I love your writing. It's it's poetic and kind of flippant and unexpected. You know, it almost, 
has a, a beat poet sensibility to it, but in a really cool modern way. So I want to commend you on that. Yeah, I'm like savoring every word and want to just hang out with each letter. Thank you. And then when you're getting into the the content here is really good too, because the writing in and of itself is really fun, right? It's really engaging. But then the content that we're talking about of like having this literal low moment where you're cleaning up mouse shit from somebody's discarded business venture, you know? Yeah, and in, the, then, in the fucking nine to five business cubicle model, like, ugh. That somebody just like yeah. dropped all their Doritos on the floor for millennia, you know? And using <laughs> that as a bit of a spiritual awakening, using that moment as like a turning point of moving into one of your favorite topics, which is as above, so below. So, well, which right. is often a spiritual turning point for so many people. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of people that I've come in contact with that were like, oh, yeah, I was in the corporate world for X amount of years and like it nearly killed me. And then I had this awakening and had to get out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, um, obviously, obviously, I, I had been. Things had been brewing in me for for quite a long time, and and uh, a lot of different things have happened in my life. I've always always been curious and affected by other dimensions. I mean, it's um, it's not a case of people often say, "Oh, well, you know, if you believe that, I, you know, whatever." But uh, it's not a matter of believing; it's about actually experiencing. So I already had this, uh, you know, a lot of different experiences of other dimensions. But during this time of, of absolute destitution where the plug was completely pulled out uh, you know, of, of my life in terms of, of work and, and earning, I got to see uh, what a lot of people who do do the nine to five don't notice. Um, all, all the stuff that when we're just living our lives or, or chugging along successfully going to the Groucho Club and having a ball gloss over. And, um, you know, part of my take on this whole uh, journey that we have in the world is it, you know, it's not supposed to all be easy. It's not. You know, we signed up for the planet and we signed up to look at uh, all its experiences. And, um, you know, I think that's why the light bulb moments go on when you're experiencing something that you really don't want to experience. Because, you know, life can be like Disneyland. It can be really fun. But it's really those moments where, you know, the plug is pulled out and and things are not what we're used to that we kind of see uh, a, a new way of looking at things. So, yeah. And you speak about this new way of looking at things. It seems like you were almost able in that moment to get a bit of like an X-ray vision, you know, like this kind of seeing behind the scenes of maybe the person that sat at this desk forever never even thought of the possibility that there would be some poor slob crawling on his hands and knees and cleaning up after their messy ass, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, because it's such a horrible job, you know, and I, 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 I now look at people hauling things and I urge whoever is listening to this, when somebody is actually coming out of a building, hauling something out of a building, don't just stay on your iPhone and walk past them and make them stop because their backs are breaking because they have gone down 15 flights of stairs with that hulking monstrosity that they're throwing into the back of the truck. Be cognizant of other people around you. It really made me think, wow, how, how we go about our day-to-day business in our own bubbles. I, I got to experience what it was to be somebody 
whose back is broken and who's just had like say mouse shit all over their fingers and and hold the desk down 15 flights because the because the lift wasn't working and how how we ignore just everybody who isn't like us kind of you know and and these things are really 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 important but also uh, being uh, a director by trade and curious about people it was very fascinating going from one desk to the other and, and wondering who was eating so many Oreos or who was leaving so many Oreos behind? <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe even the more important question. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why did they clear out their desk and leave the Oreos? Are you an idiot? <laughs> anyway. Greg, now I'm interested in what is this shift? What became the spark of inspiration for you now that you're gathering these experiences and you have this really interesting life story? So why write this book? And how is it different from any other spiritual self-help books out there? I mean, there's so many on the shelf. We touched on this a little bit in the beginning, but like, what sets this book apart? Well, you know, ever since I was four years old and I woke, uh, I sort of woke up in the world, and, and and literally the first memory I have was not a memory; it was the it was being zapped into a body, and my first sentence was, "I am four. I am here," and and so my very first. A revelation on this earth was how weird it was to be zapped into a four-year-old body and be given, sorry, it's a little oblique, but zapped into a four-year-old body and, and then be given all the background information. Oh, these are my parents. This is what happened when I was two and this is what happened, but it was literally a download. So my experience of life has always been from an angle that is very much um, a, a spiritual angle because I was aware of this almost like implant in this little kid's body. So throughout my life, I've been I've been kind of always curious and adventurous and seeking out new things and you know having having my dodgy ear trying to be healed in a spiritual um, in the spiritual center in Sydney, Australia, where I grew up. Um, so you know, coming through this whole journey. I, of course, would always go to bookstores and, you know, what's what's new in the spiritual soul help sector. And I became more and more over the last few years aware of spiritual self-help books as being a bit of a factory and saying the same old, same old. I mean, you know, you see the, the general kind of pattern is you have a very short couple of page long chapter and then after two pages of reading, you have six bullet points. It's like, motherfucker, I don't need a six bullet points. I've only just read two pages. I can remember. And then you have like a, a sort of like shabbily illustrated border with with a uh, some aphorism that they've taken off the Internet, you know, and, and it's just all filler and it's all just regurgitation. And and I just was uh, I was increasingly aware of this business of spirituality and this business of making people feel like they needed something and continuing to dangle a carrot under their nose that always, you know, made you feel like you were inadequate. You weren't there. You know, if you do this, you can do, you can be that. And you know what? My experience of life is what is all over this book as you know, um, we aren't meant to be perfect. We are meant to be perfectly imperfect experiencing this whole world with its failures and its triumphs and its beauty and its hideousness, we are meant to be experiencing all that. We are meant to poop. 
that's like part of our daily existence. Well, hopefully your daily existence. Yeah, um, right. Otherwise, otherwise we die, you know, and, and spirituality is not flapping your wings so goddamn hard to get to heaven because we'll get to heaven anyway. That's like a given. Our journey here on earth is the question mark and what we do with it is the question mark. And we need to ex- explore it and enjoy it and stop reading all these books that just spit the same old, same old out towards us and make us feel inadequate. And, you know, let's face it. Um, most of us, you know, will go to a yoga class, uh, and, uh, feel fantastic. And then we, you know, get in the cab and that's not the right route. That's not the right route. And start getting really agitated and, or we go to Nepal for our expensive holidays and we come back, we feel great. <laughs> and after half an hour, we're, we're feeling like the same old person we were before. Okay. In a nutshell, every single religion, every single, uh, doctrine since the dawn of time has tried to tattoo it into our noggins that we are God and whatever you want to call God, Bambi, Trixie, Boo Boo, whatever you want to name it, this all oneness, whatever it is, energy, um, we are that. And so if we are God or whatever you want to call it, um, and we're finding God in Nepal, we're finding God in our lotus blossom sandwich, and we're finding God in our, you know, fantastic yoga retreat or a rebirthing exercise, then sure as shit, you know, God is there in the skid marks of your underwear you've just tossed in the corner of your room. God is in that crammed, full of absolute what the fuck in the drawer next to your, um, you know, in your side table next to your bed. And so, you know, we don't have to keep flapping our wings so hard to be the gods we already are. What I came to realize was that all it took was you to be able to look at your own environment, to see the universe, uh, to see who you are, screaming back to yourself, at yourself, the knowledge that you're seeking to find. So that's why I I wrote the book, because um, I I just couldn't find it on the shelves. Uh, I think there's a whole generation of people longing for a different take on things uh, and a non-cynical take on things that uh, didn't just tell them the same old, same old. Yeah, that's so amazing. You know, not only are we made in the image and likeness of God, but actually are the stuff of which God is made. And so... It's, yeah, it is. It's all of us. God poops, you know? Um, You have to be able to eliminate. It's one of the basic needs. And we get so much instant feedback being here in physical form that we can't learn any place quicker other than being here what works and what doesn't work. So if you're looking around your universe and you're loving what you see, good job. If you're not, you're getting feedback about what needs to shift. And then also, like you're saying, to like embrace even the stuff that doesn't feel that great. Yeah, there's beauty exactly. there too. You know, myself growing up in a pretty traditional Christian household, there almost seems to be this perpetual dogma that God is outside of us. God is something above and beyond us, and heaven is so removed, and we're so dirty and wretched, and, totally and so lonely and sinful, right? But Right. The truth is, since since we did decide, we made a contract to come into this physical form, in this physical existence, and 
with all of its ins and outs, with everything you're saying, with the pile of moldy Oreos, with the skid mark drawers in the corner, with everything. This is all a part of the experience, right? And so I love how you're getting into that in such a real level. And with a level of honesty and straightforwardness that a lot of the other spiritual books don't have. There's kind of like a, a fluff that you're speaking to, this like cotton candy fluff spirituality that doesn't really apply to everybody because you know what? There's some flies in that cotton candy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think I might have written the first um, spiritual, I hate calling it a spiritual self-help book, but um, I, I would imagine that I've, I've written the first book that actually talks about boners. So I, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> um, you know, in, in, in that, in that sense that um, we're not allowed to, to swear or, you know, talk about bodily functions and, you know, in, in most, self-help books it seems to be like still got that kind of slightly as you said christian dirtiness about it all and we're here to experience our bodies and that's really important you know it's as much of the disneyland ride of being on earth you know experiencing the the bad stuff and the scary stuff um and sometimes that's actually the the where it all kind of all juice really is hidden you know, and I think that some of the ancient uh, practices do get into some of that. You know, I mean, the yogis are very into all of the bodily functions. And, yes. yet they're, and yet they're so serious about it, you know, and the Taoists are really into, like, the sexual energetics, and yet they're so serious about it. And really, like, at the end of the day, like, farting is hilarious. Yeah, you know, it makes it, me think it, of, like, oh, my God, you are the first woman I've ever heard say that. Really? My friend, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. My friend Camilla said the difference, as always said, the difference between men and women are that men find farting funny. But, you know, it's no, just it's no, hilarious. Women just don't admit it. It's still funny. Come on. You know, it, it makes me think of like the really cool, there's a cool level in your work here, Greg, that is similar to like some of the Zen stories. Like some of, when I was a young punk rocker, Zen was the spirituality that attracted me because those guys in a way, were kind of assholes. They would use their assholishness to, like, snap you out of your ideas of rigidity and spirituality. Right. So, you know, the Zen master says to the student something like, does a dog have Buddha nature? And if the student lets out a monstrous fart, that's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's what I hope I bring to, you know, some of, some of that is brought to the plate here. Um, and I kind of kept it anecdotal because that's, I wanted it to be um, the book to be not only informative and, and borrow from some of those ideas, but to be grounded. Every every story that I'm telling, even though my autobiography might be a little bit out there, uh, it's actually based in fact, <laughs> sickly it's based in fact. Um, so the uh, the stories that I tell, the anecdotes that I tell, um, and that's why I sort of had that title, Case Studies or Bullshit, so, or So You Think is to illustrate how other people's lives and the, and the instances and the, and the, uh, the minutia of their lives um, we can actually learn from. Usually we, we listen to somebody else's life story and we kind of zone out a little bit because it, it isn't specific to us. But there is so much within talking uh, to somebody else or learning from somebody else's experiences that we really need to pay attention to. And I think we're in a culture of extreme self-absorption. And um, part of what the book tries to do is kind of break yourself out of that self-absorption and, and read yourself because just as objects in your room really are reflecting you back to yourself, 
so are the people around you and, and the people in the world. That's touching again on kind of this overarching theme of As Above, So Below, that you, you can learn so much from the tiniest detail if you open up to it, if you look at it from a different lens or a different perspective. So I love that that's uh, one of the main themes in your in your book here and in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the other thing which um, I, I do think is worth mentioning, um, you know, because people ask what the book is about, it's about cleaning and shifting stuff and all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, well, that's what's feng shui, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it isn't about, like, about feng shui. It isn't about um, getting so obsessed with uh, your environment that you're you're uh, trying to read everything into a symbol or symbolic um, reason. You're supposed to have fun with it. It's very empowering when you learn how much you are your environment and how much your environment is you, and have a kind of a game-like approach to it. Um, the act sometimes of shifting your coffee cup from its usual place on one side of the room to the other can be an act of God. It, it can be an act of immense power. And it's really about just starting to shake the energy up around you and see uh, what you're trying to say to yourself. But, you know, we're in deer in the headlight times right now. We are at a, a stage where we really don't know what to do with ourselves and what to do with this world. You know, sometimes by not worrying so much about the hugeness of what's going on around you, outside of you, that's uh, seemingly out of your control, by imagining that the environment around you is the world and shifting the energy within that space, that's as powerful um, an act of God as anything else. And I think that's really an important thing to start instigating particularly in this really whacked out period of time where there's such a clash of energies and we feel so out of control and and, and powerless. Um, we are not. And I think the spiritual slob is really about how you, you know, you can actually use your environment to do some, some pretty amazing, strong, energetic shifts. Uh, and it, it may not look like it, but that is the above, so below, uh, ripple down, ripple up effect. Gosh, you know, I could not agree more. And this is one of my favorite topics and conversations. In fact, I was just talking to Daniel about how I'm like, you know, our house is feeling really, really good, like the best it's ever felt. I'm like, you know, I dusted everything last night. And um, we've gone through a series of ascensions uh, over the last year and a half. And so as we dramatically change our internal spiritual environment, our external environment is just constantly shifting as well. And it is truly an act of God. And one of the most empowering things that you can do is to just like rip all the books off the shelf and put the ones that you give a shit about back on in a way that feels really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and in that process, too, you move through that, like, kind of hoarder mentality of, like, oh, I gotta, I have to keep all of these things, and you're like, oh, read that book, am I realistically going to read it again? No? Great, I, I absorbed everything I can out of it, time to give it a new home. Look at this book, does it actually speak truth to me anymore? No. Do I need it on my bookshelf? No. <laughs> well, and then to even, you know, celebrate all the little stuff, you know, how you were saying about just moving your coffee cup from the usual place to, like, maybe three inches to the left, and how... That is an act of creation. 
You know, yeah. we are creating the world that we live in on on a you know, the macro and the micro. But this brings yeah. up for me, it's so fun. This is wild that this just came to mind. I almost had this like flashback moment where, you know, Rachel was like physically making the gesture of moving a cup from one into the other and how that's a creative act. One of my yeah. favorite things to do as a kid would be to play God. I would play God, and especially at any kind of little creek or a rippling stream or any kind of little flowing body of water, I would pretend that I was God and create new land masses, put a log in the water, see how the river flows, and then I would like divert the water and make little islands and then make a flood to, to swamp the island. And <laughs> these tiny little changes affect the flow of the water that actually creates a new landscape. And so that can be as simple as moving a coffee cup from one side of the desk to the other. Where are you diverting that flow, right? What's going to exactly. become of that simple change? Exactly. And, you know, I think part of being a meat puppet here on Earth um, <laughs> and, and part, of the, part of the reason that we cling on to habits and cling on to things the way we do is because it is kind of a rocky ride here on Earth. And so we kind of like cling on to our coffee cup space like like that's gonna hold us on to the earth but you know we will we'll be ejected off of the uh out into the stratosphere without having that that routine in place but once we um like you say when you're playing god you're playing god um you know you get to have the fun of creativity and creation instilled back into your being because i think from the day dot that we are born we are in the middle of a, uh, you know, a chosen culture, that, uh, planet that tries to disenfranchise ourselves from our purpose or, you know, way of being, natural inherent way of being, and tries to disempower us. And we buy into it. We buy into it. We buy into it. It's very, very subtle and slow and a long process. And part of this book is about, um, a great deal of about this book is about those little simple acts that you can do to, like you say, make the river of energy flow in a different direction just by a different choice that you make, a, a different action that you do within your own space, a different thing that you notice. Sometimes it's not just, you know, you like you were saying, sucking up dust or, you know, getting rid of books. Sometimes it's actually looking at what the fuck am I putting that photo on the wall? I mean, I was at a, at a place in Cannes for the Cannes Film Festival, and there was a a portrait of these hacked up disembodied creepy dolls over my bed. <laughs> I'm nope. going, what led to that choice being there? And, and, and uh, I don't actually want to know. Um, but there's all kinds of things that we place or we choose or we don't choose to be in our environments. And some of them are very obvious and some of them are very, very subtle. And we, you know, I talk about them in different anecdotes within the book, of course. Yeah, and some things you're like guilted into it or like you'd feel bad if you got rid of it for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that's the energy that you're now living in. It's like some weird, like, indebted, <laughs> yeah. I feel bad. You know, when really like the truth is that, you know, we are royalty and we are you know, our innate nature is the god and the goddess. And so I feel so inspired now to, in a playful, non-egoic way, to, like, move my cup and be like, I am god. <laughs> you know, like with every movement. <laughs> I feel so honored to be have inspired you to move your coffee cup. Look That's at right. me, I'm um, god. <laughs> yeah. But the fun thing uh, is, is so are you. And so are you, and you, and you, and you. Right. You all are. We're all cells in the big God. 
Yeah, and um, you know, I think one of the things that we find, uh, let, let's talk, let's talk about, let's let's only obliquely talk. We won't mention names, but um, you know, I, I've just re uh, relocated back to um, to London, where I've been a resident of for thirty years, and I've been back and forth to LA, London, LA, London for half my life, and I flew out uh, on inauguration day, and I was very, very much aware of an exhausting energy that I was waking up to. And I, a lot of my friends and, and people around me were admitting that they just were waking up just absolutely tired and, and flat. And I think one of the things that we, in this um, playfulness that the spiritual slob uh, represents of uh, not just objects within our environment, but we're all little kind of diamond-esque facets all shimmering around and, you know, kind of shining our light on each other. Um, and we are all part of the same thing. And that includes those people that exhaust us and piss us off and scare us <laughs> and threaten us. Um, those things are really important to remember as well. I think in the, in the process of life, you know, what is it that you feel most proud of when, you, when you've gone through an ordeal and you've come out the other side of it? Uh, and I'm not saying that we need to create ordeals to go through to come out and triumphant from, but also remembering that in this multi-leveled, multi-faceted diamond of a universe we live in, uh, and specifically the planet energies that we are surrounded with, it's not an us and them thing. It's looking at the people around you. As reflections of yourself and what are they bringing to you or what are they actually agitating you into feeling and what are they what are their energies bashing against you doing and sometimes I think what we're seeing it's not always a case of uh, a negative energy just being negative and evil and and destructive but also being kind of like a thorn up your butt to agitate you to be bigger and better than you are and I think that's that's just something I wanted to say because I think it's easy to kind of um, look at the skin box in your underwear as a negative thing um, or, or the person who happens to be in authority and making crazy rules up as a negative thing. We're all here playing with each other. Uh, and some people play better than others and nicer than others. But we're all here to, to look at what that person or that thing is. Um, also, that pisses us off as saying to us. So I think it's worth kind of like mentioning at this stage about that. Yeah, it's, you know, completely true. Think about it. What is the one thing that a hero absolutely needs and depends on? A villain. Yeah. Every hero, by definition, needs a villain, needs somebody else, needs an other to make them right and correct. And so, so many times in our society now, people almost don't even know who they are, but they only know who they are by definition of who they're not. Well, I'm not that guy, and I'm not that group over there, and I'm certainly not those women, and I'm not, I'm not yeah. that thing, you know? And so, but they never actually come to who they are. But yeah. it's an interesting thing that if you actually give honor, you should actually almost be thanking the person that you're, quote, against. The person that's so not what you are, because it helps give you definition and validity and purpose to what you do believe. By defining yeah. what you don't. Yeah, ex exactly. So, you know, I think I think um, you know the us and them thing. You know, we're moving we're moving away from that. And I'm really inspired by what's happening in the world, even though um, 
you know, on the surface, things look a little wonky, <laughs> to say the least. But, um, you know, what, what the spiritual slob talks about um, again and again, bringing it back to that, are those demons that you, <laughs> you have hidden in your basement. Uh, and sometimes they're literal demons. I've had little, you know, literal battles and, uh, you know, how how those those reflections are truly reflections of yourself. And, you know, one thing I learned kind of the hard way <laughs> is and I will I will say this to the people listening. This book is, is supposed to be your personal journey an inspiring force to get you to look at your shit and to deal with your shit and, uh, and play with that. But one thing I did learn is to not go in, like I think, and this is why I'm kind of a, a little anti-Feng Shui, I'm not anti-anything, but it describes in the book why I, I believe Feng Shui in its traditional forms doesn't usually work. And I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, when you go into somebody's place and you decide for them... Right. what they need to get rid of or what they need to move. That can be very alarming. That is like going in to somebody's room and cutting out their liver because you think it's probably not good for them and setting things off that you shouldn't set off. It's it's a personal journey that you have to go on, the spiritual slob path. And don't start using it as a kind of, I know what you're supposed to do and go into somebody else's house and start ripping their stuff apart because that can stir up a lot of stuff that those people are not ready to kind of deal with. Yeah, you touched a little earlier on even the, you know, the simple coffee mug metaphor of how people develop security and stability in the structures that they've created. And so, yeah, you can't go in with a bulldozer or a wrecking ball into somebody else's structure, right? I mean, it's a process of them deciding to pick up a hammer and start to do some renovation. Yeah, I had one. I had one instance where, um, uh, and I, I I talk about it in the book, and it's um, above the surface. The household was just, uh, and a very 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 good friend of mine, um, and her house was literally. She would drink a cup of coffee and put a bleach in it, and wash it out, and rinse it out, and dry it, and then have another cup of coffee. That's how clean and pristine everything was, you know, above the basement. <laughs> But then when you went downstairs into the basement, and what she asked me to do to, to help her with it, it was literally like you couldn't even see a basement. There, was, there were no walls visible. There was no floor visible. It was just so crammed full of stuff and such filth-covered stuff, uh, even though her laundry was down there. I mean, even, the, even the, the washer and dryer were covered with filth. So I started just pulling everything out to help her. And... It only took about an hour, and she was on the floor bawling her eyes out. The energy that was released from me attacking, me attacking her basement and thinking I was doing her favor um, was too much and too fast. So, you know, you got to be really careful when you start playing God. And, and here's the deal. Don't play God and deal with and, and be God to other people. Just be God to yourself, you know? Yeah, you know, that's so uh, wonderful that you're speaking to this, you know, because I have a feng shui background. And ever since I was a little girl, I loved playing God and like moving this here and tinkering with this and this little thing. And, you know, I still do it. And Daniel sort of pokes fun at me. How she I... kind of can't even help going into an environment to whisper to me. She's <laughs> like, if this was my space, I'd move that thing over there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And I actually, you know, I have, I have played God in other people's spaces and it always was, um, you know, either totally disastrous or met with such hostility, uh, you know, and so I had some really harsh learning experiences there, you know, uh, when my mother moved out of my, out of our, you know, home, uh, my sister and I thought that we would do my father a favor and like clean it all up and like make it, make it his, you know, we were going to make it his <laughs> now that my mother, now that my mother was gone. And so, um, Oh, wow, was he pissed. I mean, we made it really beautiful. It was wonderful. And, like, we created a whole library for him and his own study. And, you know, but it was too much. He had to go through his own grieving process and tend to his own shit. And he he likes to be a hoarder. That's, like, what he's into. So, um, there you go. And I actually did move into a hoarder's house with, like, some really cheap rent situation and just started, you know, wielding my goddess skills throughout the place. And it was really uh, traumatic for for the hoarder's house that I had moved into. so And for you in turn, didn't it take a big toll me, on you? And for me, it took yeah. a huge toll on my health. I gained tons of weight. I, you know, I was drinking a lot and smoking. It was really uh, catastrophic for my health and my psyche and, and theirs as well. So don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. We will We will reiterate that. Do not do that. <laughs> you can inspire how, and you can... No matter have... how pretty it looks at the end of it all... They're just not going to like it. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, you can inspire and you can hold their hand, but you have to go at their pace, yeah. yeah. Everybody has to go at their own pace. You know, and here's the thing about what I'm talking about in the book. You know, there are no meanings, specific meanings attached to other uh, to objects around the place. You have to, when I'm in somebody's environment for a while, I can start seeing elements and get get into, you know, their psyche and get into um what's what's really going on but you can't just walk into somebody's space and say well that needs to go there because that means that you know something that means something to you and uh, aligned with your energetic take on things can mean a, a world of difference to the other person and so there are no rules uh when attacking your environment or looking at it or adventuring through it as i like to think of it as being um, there's no rules, you know, maybe, maybe you like that cluster of butt stained underwear in the corner because, you know, you'll, you know where it is and you'll pick it up at another stage and it's your, that's just your like kind of regular system. But, you know, you know, to me, that might be abhorrent to you. That might be okay. We do not assign stringent rules. And, and that's kind of where my, why Feng Shui to me doesn't work, um, because it's too, uh, much associated with the rules. And yeah, some of those and schools are very never, rigid, I, yeah. 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 And, and let me just double, you know, cover my back here. Uh, I'm not saying don't go to Nepal to your, your retreat or don't meditate or don't uh, eat lotus blossom sandwiches. Do whatever you want to do. But I, I'm just I'm just more concerned with making your existence here on earth be less of a problematic adventure. And I think it's been ingrained in us for far too long that we're lacking, uh, that we, we have to struggle to get somewhere. And in fact, it doesn't matter what we fucking do. We can do that. These many breath exercises and you're still going to need X, you know, and you know, we have to start being comfortable with just being ourselves. Just, we are God right where we are right here, right now. We don't have to go anywhere, you know? 
we can start acting yeah. like that though you know we can actually start embracing that godhood that we are in every single moment with every choice we make but you know yeah. you, you mentioned that there is no end you could be meditating on the top peak of the himalayas and living on only breath being a breath area and you could be doing all these things but your mission is not complete until the day you leave physical existence on this planet you're still here doing work and you know yeah. being some aesthetic removed from society and trying to maintain this like ultra spiritual existence maybe isn't benefiting the greater good or contributing to society at all so yeah we live in and of the world. Like, can we be, can we live in our godhood? Can we be a beacon for higher realms and positive decisions in life as we go out into the world to the gas station and to the grocery store and interact with other people that might be in the depths of their shit? So that's yeah. to me is how I've chosen to live my life is to be an example in a chaotic world. You know, not try to be yeah. completely and totally outside of it because that just seems ineffective. You're not going to yeah. create any change. Well, and it's about knowing yourself because when you know what works for you, then you know how effective you can be. And like for me, there's a particular level, a quality of life that I have to maintain and then I'm striving for even an even better quality of life because I know that then I'm even more effective. Yeah. And also... You know, reminding yourself that what was working for you, you know, maybe even you know, six, three months ago, An hour ago. may not be <laughs> actually going to be appropriate for who you've suddenly shifted into being overnight. You know, we are malleable, energetic beings and we make choices to wake up in the morning. And, you know, every day is a new adventure. But the one thing that we have to remember, it ain't all going to be fucking pretty. It ain't. No. I don't want. I don't want it to be pretty. You know. I. I. I actually. When I was reflecting um, back on this really, really, really super, super duper shitty time, <laughs> I had to go. Well, I could have actually had loads and loads and loads of money, and I could have just been holidaying, and that would have been a really great life. But actually, on my deathbed, on your deathbed, taking it all to the deathbed, I always say, what would you, what would you feel, you know, about your life? Um, would you feel that that adventure, even though it was nasty, was useless? I think most people, actually, when you look at, at adventures that you really struggled through and, and really had a hard time with and that were really grody, I think most of us will agree that something really very, very important or cool or interesting came out of it. And if not, you got to the other side and you got to have beer. <laughs> and go shit that sucked ass you know and and so you know if we, the more we treat our lives like an imperfectly imperfect adventure the more we see ourselves as at the epicenter of energy that people can't knock us sideways because they just don't like us or don't agree with us the more we figure out our lives along the way with the choices that we, we make being honorable and, and kind, the, the more important our lives are going to be and the more happy and happier our experience along the way is going to be. You know, the spiritual slob is all about reclaiming that epicenter of, of godness. I keep saying God because there's, there's so many words for it, him, she, whatever. But, you know, this is an important thing to just remember because we're so, so trained from the day of our birth to give other people power, um, you know. 
let's fart and belch and have some fun and have a beer and also meditate, maybe. <laughs> I love that you're giving our listeners the permission to be messy because the path to uh, true spirituality isn't always pretty. I mean, if you look at some of the highest and holiest existences on our pla- you know, of our life experience are two that you already mentioned, the deathbed and the birth. Dying and being birthed, like getting here and leaving here are like some of the messiest, raw, vulnerable, powerful, passionate, exciting, terrifying moments of our lives. And yeah. so like, of course, everything in between there will have some messiness yeah. too. Yeah, along along with going to a massive American supermarket and trying to figure out what hot sauce you're going to buy, those are the two most messy things you can do. I mean, <laughs> that 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 shit can be pretty pretty overwhelming. It's pretty overwhelming. <laughs> I I try to avoid it as well. I'll have them all. I'll have them all. <laughs> all right, great. So this is amazing. I totally love this book, and uh, I'm going to read it cover to cover, probably again and again. I'll keep coming back to it. So what's next in store? coming from you and do you have more with this spiritual slob theme this title coming out yeah i mean i i i am uh well first of all i'm i'm formulating um a a way of translating the concepts and in a fun way visually uh you know of course i'm like i say i'm a writer director so i'm formulating a way of getting this out into a, a either television or an online format that's punchy and fun and informative and adventurous. Um, so I'm talking to people about that right now. Additionally, I think the, the, the two things that I want to follow this up with reasonably quickly. Uh, well, I mean, you know, who can say? Because I, I need to just let it flow as it flows. But I, I do think that we need a spiritual slob workbook. I think that would be fun because things that are obvious to me are super not obvious to people. Things that I would go, well, of course, you just do this and this and this. And they go, well, I don't even see what you're talking about. So I, I think I'd like to, to spell it out a little bit more helpfully, um, practically helpfully through a workbook um, and also the spiritual slob relationship. And I'm not talking about necessarily, uh, you know, I've had relationship up and ups and downs. I'm not sitting there, you know, with a with a great relationship right now. In fact, I was going to write the spiritual slob relationship and just have one page and you open it up and said bullshit. But um, <laughs> <laughs> bestseller, bestseller, right really there. True, but I, I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Um, but it's it's about the relationship that you have with your environment, the relationship you have to the world, the relationship you have with your emotions, the racial relationship ultimately that you have with yourself. And so it will talk about all kind of levels of relationships, because I think um, relationships with your enemies or perceived enemies or perceived threats and all those things, because we're always in a relationship being who we are on the earth. We're in relationship with everything, everything at all times. And I think it'll be neat to explore that a little bit more and spill that out. So, you know, and, you know, there'll be a spiritual slob hamburger joint next to McDonald's on every corner and spiritual slob coffee. <laughs> no, I'm kidding about that one. Quite well, maybe the franchise, man. Quite the franchise. I love it. So where can people <laughs> where can people find the book? What avenues do they have for that? And how can they find out how to stay in touch with you so they can hear about things like the workbook that are coming up? Okay, well, um, you know, first of all, this is uh, published through Micro Publishing Media, and if you go to the Micro Publishing Media uh, site dot uh, com, Micro Publishing Media dot com, or Soul Odyssey. Soul Odyssey is the imprint uh, of Micro Publishing Media, 
that uh, the book is sold through. You can also go to, and, and I will apologize if anybody like just jumps on the site after hearing this immediately. Hopefully, I'll get it together. I was pulling it apart, but uh, spiritualslob.com will um, shortly have all the links that you need. The book is also available apart from through the micro publishing media site on Amazon. It's on Amazon. That's an outlet that we can um, align with the book through on. And um, call me on <laughs> www.spiritualslob.com. It has uh, an email and a, a comment page that you can contact me directly. I'm, I'm very amenable to that. And let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep the energy flowing. And uh, let's keep the fun and adventure in life going. And, um, and don't be perfect. That's a bore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, perfection soon becomes obsolete. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. As always, you can reach out to me personally. Email daniel at ecstaticexistence.com. Make sure to check out that website, ecstaticexistence.com. There's some free downloads for you, a bunch of really cool off-the-wall material. Um, it's a great site. I'm, I'm proud of it. So check that out. Uh, check out Ecstatic Existence, the page on Facebook. That's a great way to stay connected with the show and see uh, some of the inspirational videos and talks that Rachel and I will do that don't make the podcast. There's additional content there as well. We are a listener-powered podcast, so make sure to take stock and evaluate how much content you receive from this show. And we love our contributors. Uh, people contribute through Patreon, which is a monthly donation that you become a patron of the arts and help contribute to the show to keep our broadcast bandwidth and all our hosting and posting and storage and processing fees and all of these things help them keep handled so that this information can get out to everybody across the globe, totally for free, totally ad-free. And you can also be a one-time donor at PayPal. Yeah, we've been receiving some wonderful donations, and it is so appreciated. It's so appreciated, yeah. It really takes a lot of time, money, and energy to keep this whole amazing thing going. And so, gosh, yeah, we just so honor you for your, your donations, one time or monthly. It's, it's really helpful. Yep, you keep this thing going. We love you. That uh, one-time donation through PayPal, you can send to ecstaticexistence at gmail.com. And uh, I'm Rachel Alcyon. You can find me on my website, rachelalcyon.com, and also on all the social media. I love connecting there, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, as always, there's a lot of love here for you, so at whatever level you're ready to work, I will be there to meet you. Yep. We look forward to connecting with you again soon, so stay tuned and stay sloppy. And so if we are God or whatever you want to call it, then sure as shit, then sure as shit, then sure as shit, you know, God is there in the skid marks of your underwear. You just got in the corner of your room. You just got in the corner of your room. You just got in the corner of your room. You just got in the corner of your room. You just got in the corner of your room.